Hello, beautiful people, and welcome back to another episode of BU with Declan Edwards. Today, you are listening to season three, episode two of the Wizards of Wellbeing series on this show. So, if you're new here or if you need a refresher, that is the show where we invite people on who we believe are creating absolute magic in the world of well-being. So these are professionals, experts, people who really have tangible skills and strategies and a lot of professional knowledge to help you improve your well-being in quite a dramatic way. And today's guest is no exception to that rule. I'm very grateful to be joined by none other than Valerie Ling, who you may also know as Dr. Burnout. So Valerie is a good friend of ours here at BU. She's actually run a guest expert workshop for our members before, and we invited her back onto the show because we got such great feedback from that guest expert session that we went, you know what, this knowledge needs to be accessible to more and more people. So let's get her on the show so we can give her knowledge to you lovely listeners. Valerie is a clinical psychologist who runs her own practice, but who also specializes in burnout. She helps people understand burnout and overcome it so that they can live healthier and happier lives. Now, in this episode of the show, Valerie dives deep into burnout and into well-being and shares some really cool insights into how you can improve your well-being and reduce the likelihoods of getting caught out by burnout. So if you are someone who tends to struggle with burnout or get overwhelmed or just really have no idea what to do when it comes to managing your emotional well-being well, let me promise you, you are in the right place and the right space. So with that said, please join me in welcoming the amazing Valerie Ling onto the show. Okay, Valerie, thank you for uh, jumping on today's episode of the podcast. I know I'm really excited to have you on board. I know I mentioned it to our members and they're really excited to hear this one when it comes out, obviously because about, what, a month ago now, maybe? Maybe a bit more. You jumped on and did a guest expert session for our personal development and wellbeing accelerator members, and they're still talking about some of the key things we mentioned in that. They loved it. It was such a great session. And I just really love chatting with you. Like I I love, I think you and I have a very similar perspective, but we really connect and resonate well. So I'm personally excited for what's going to come up in today's session. But before we jump into all of that, I do want to hand over you and give you a bit of a space to introduce yourself and share what you do and why you do it um, for the people listening who haven't come across you yet or haven't connected with you before. Thanks, Declan. I had so much fun at the pop-up event. <laughs> In fact, it's still one of my favorite things. And I, and I took a photo of myself before and I still look at it and feel like uh, super energized. Yes, yeah, so I'm a clinical psychologist. I'm also a mother. Um, I'm also married to a clergy person. And so I find that in all of the spheres of my life, um, exhaustion uh, is an issue and, you know, multiple roles. And I think in about 2009, I had a real um, moment, if you like. Um, I lost a pregnancy. I was working clinically. Um, We were living overseas. Um, I had children who didn't really sleep. And I remember my skin being so parched and dry and my face being so unrecognisable. And even at that point, I thought I was still okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, 
And it wasn't until, so we were living overseas. It wasn't until I came for a holiday to Australia and caught up with um, two of my girlfriends that I really voiced and articulated just how bad I was doing. And um, fast forward, we returned to Australia and I started to see individuals whom I recognized um, experiencing what I was experiencing. Uh, you know, I started to wonder, is this clinical depression or is it something else? And that's when I came across uh, burnout. And I realized that there's a slightly different way of looking and treating burnout if it isn't clinical depression. And I thought, oh, I've got to get the message out that this is quite a specific situation that we are dealing with. And the way to, to treat it and help people is a little bit different from the way that we would treat clinical depression. So um, currently I have a practice of psychologists and we're constantly watching over each other's backs to make sure that we're doing okay. Which I love because it is something that we see so often is that helper-based industries falling into the trap of everyone else's needs come first. And Absolutely. it's interesting hearing that that was part of your story too. You mentioned obviously juggling all these roles that required you to help others. I think a lot of our listeners can relate to that, this sense of there are a lot of hats to wear and a lot of roles to play these days. Um, and if we look at that priority mm -hmm. list, we can ask, well, where, where are we on our own priority lists? You mentioned, obviously, that there's a bit of a different approach to working with burnout compared to working with like clinical depression. What are some of those differences that you found? I'm really curious about that. So the first thing to say is that they can be, they can be a close overlap. So anybody mm. who's actually having a low mood, interrupted sleep, impacted concentration, you, you do need to go and speak to your doctor and a health professional to ensure. Um, I guess the best way to describe it is burnout is like a workplace depression, if you like, mm. where there's something not quite right with our relationship with, with our work and how we're doing it. And so very often with clinical depression, we're exploring all these other things. We're looking at, um, you know, your relationship with your parents and, you know, we're looking at sort of, you know, your schooling and your social forming because we're trying to get to the root of where the sense of low self-worth and, and a pervasive negativity and hopelessness is. Um, with burnout, however, if it is burnout, it's very specific to the expectations that the individual has about themselves in relation to their passion or their work or lack of, mm. it's very specific to that. And once you actually look into that and address that, um, you can curb the spread of that hopelessness from work to other areas. And so a lot of the work in burnout is actually about returning people to meaningful activities. Mm. Uh, of course, we've got to rest, um, whereas working in depression is returning people to joyful activities in general. Gotcha. Right. So there is some overlap, um, but particularly I was just looking at people thinking that the best option they had was to leave their jobs. Mm. And that's not necessarily the best option when you're burning out, because what will happen is you might go to another job and the same patterns emerge, or you might choose jobs that you, without an awareness or insight, have the same dynamics as the job that you're leaving. Mm. And I know another thing that a lot of people rely on is that sense of, you know, if I can just push through till the holiday or, mm. you know, till I've got that, that leave coming up later in the year and we do sort of fall into the trap. I see a lot of people fall into the belief of if I can just do nothing for two weeks, 
then I'll come back into work feeling better. And I know one thing that really hit home for me when we did our uh, pop-up session with you was a sense that that passive rest and recovery and doing nothing, quote unquote, isn't always the best solution to addressing burnout. Talk to us more about that. Because at the core of it, burnout is, you know, there are three tanks that get impacted. And, and one of it is a sense that we're not being um, true or aligned to the very thing that we are called to do. And so it's a kind of sense of failure to the cause, Declan. Mm. you see what I'm saying there's a kind of a sense of failure to the cause and so we can rest you know it's still okay to have a two-week holiday um, but the bigger issue is how do you address the issue that I'm still faithful to to the call to to the journey and often in my burnout work what I will do is in the rest period I actually assign them tasks and activities to return to the point where they decided to do what they do oh, so nice. it is active rest I will get them to read. I will get them to, you know, do some TED Talks and things like that or listen to TED Talks that just reignite that sense of, oh, this was the reason, you know, mm. this is why I do what I do. Um, so, you know, I typically go on an annual retreat like it is for me what I call a hard rest, which means there's an all stop. There's no emails, no phone, no activity that comes from my client load of the practice. And it's different from my vacation time. So during my holiday time, I don't do anything work-related. Mm. But my personal retreat, I very much return to the why of what I do and assess how I'm doing. And I've got to tell you, during this COVID period, I've had to do that multiple times. And I do have my personal retreat scheduled in July mm. because I myself need to return to it and make sense of why have I felt so exhausted in this one particular area to the point where I just want to give up. Mm. Right. Um, I've got to make sense of that and figure that out. Yeah. And I think it's such a common thing we see if, you know, I know you and I both love Simon Sinek and start with why, and that yeah. we get so caught up in the day-to-day -day what's of our work. If this is what we need to do. This is what's on yeah. the to-do list that we can really quickly lose touch of, well, hang on, this is why I got into this field in the first place. This is why this matters to me. And coming back to that heart, um, yeah. how do you then, let's say people are listening to this and they're really resonating. They're like, yep, I can see that. Like I can really, you know, relate to that. How do you then recommend they start to sort of rebuild it once they've gone back to that? Okay. This is why this matters. How do they integrate that into their day-to-day -day life? So I could probably use an example from our practice, uh, in, in the period where we've been in COVID, you know, uh, there's a picture of all of us on Zoom having a meeting, just exhausted. And um, what I said to them was, what I need for you now is, let's not talk about technicalities of how, what I need for you now is to think of the person in the room with you, whom you, you started all of this for. You know, who is that person? Why? What was, you know, what was it about children because you believe that, you know, children are at, at, at a stage of life where if we just nurture them, they have potential to grow or is it mothers? What is, who is that person? And then I said, now you have to fight for that person. Mm. Forget about the how or the why right now. Now we've got to fight. And now we've got to think of ways that we want to fight for this person with the capacity and the energy that we have. Mm. 
you know, so we, we did a couple of things. We created, you know, some 30 minute programs, but always returning to the question of, you know, who are we fighting for? Why? Um, so that's one example. I, I guess at a more general level, it's, um, are you familiar with the concept of Ikigai? Oh yeah, the Japanese um, <laughs> term? I'm such a fan of it. I just love it to bits because there's so much you can do with it. And, you know, there's fantastic books out there as well. Um, at the core of it, uh, the Ikigai asks us, you know, what do you love doing? What are you good at? What are the needs that you're drawn to? And what are the opportunities you have to address that? And so I like taking people through an exploration of really back to, the, to a time in their life where, you know, the world seemed positive and bright. You know, it might have been in high school or you might have been, you know, when you were a young adult on a team, uh, a sport or whatever, and try to fill out those circles based on that period point. Mm -hmm. Because as human beings, we don't change that much. The opportunities and the needs that we get drawn to can shift depending on our, our experience. But fundamentally, those things grow and shape into, you know, what we do with our work or our volunteer life, you know, things that give us a uh, purpose. And I love that you just mentioned that obviously work or volunteer life. Uh, mm. I think a lot of people fall, um, you know, into the idea that we have to make our day-to-day -day job the biggest sense of purpose and meaning, but we can get the benefits from integrating it elsewhere um, as well and seeing other angles for it. Yeah. I'm totally sold on that because that is part of the reason why we have burnout in our society. It's an over-investment decline of our identity in work. Mm. And one thing we know from going through something like COVID, when we've seen other disasters in the world, uh, people do return to a point of post-traumatic growth. And one of the things that is that, that people have to think through is how do we actually engage in our world with more meaning now that we've been through something like this, now that we've seen like a, that a virus was able to take out, you know, jobs and freedoms of, as we know it, you know, what, what has this meant for me? And if we can then get to that space of seeing a job as, one opportunity for us to express that, but all other areas of life, what you do with your neighbors, mm. uh, what you do when you volunteer, what you do at the shops, like, you know, um, you want to commit to supporting small businesses. It gives us a sense then that we're not overly invested in who we are in just the work, like the paid stuff. And I'll go even further and say, because when I've seen people have been retrenched or lost their job and their identity is so invested in it, I'm like, sometimes there's a season to do the kind of work that brings you income and meets those basic needs, mm. right? You can Uber, you can, you know, work at Big W and things like that and find meaning even in contributing and things like that. And then in that season, look at all these other spaces that you can meet some of these meaning needs, yeah? And so one of the things I often say with my clients is if you can think of 20 things you can do to earn money, right? You will always have the freedom to not feel like in a moment where you've lost your work or, or whatever that you're, you're stuffed. Yeah. I love that. And yeah, even just the idea of sort of having that list and integrating maybe little bits of meaning and purpose as yeah. little droplets um, and kind of being honest with ourselves with like, okay, maybe this isn't the end result, but we can enjoy the process and the journey. I know, you know, when I first started 
be you and we were getting the ball rolling. I don't know how many people actually know this. I Ubered for eight months um, whilst we were <laughs> getting it going. Yeah, and, and I ended up loving it in the sense of, yeah. well, A, it gave me flexibility and you know, it covered my bills, but B, my passion and what I really love is people and really getting to know people and finding out about people's journeys and, and helping them fulfill their potential. And so I could have viewed it as, oh, I'm just driving around. I was mainly doing the nightclub runs on the weekends. It was late hours. And, or I could view it as this is a chance to meet people that I may never have the chance of meeting otherwise. And I had some of the best conversations from that. It's funny. We used to, when I first got published, I had copies of my book in the glove box and they'd ask what I do when I was at Uber. And I'd say, oh, I'm starting this company and this is what we do. And I've actually just been published as an author. And if they were really nice, I'd give them a copy of my book. <laughs> it was the weirdest eight months. But it was, looking back, really beautiful. And I think if I went into that with the perspective of, oh, I'm sort of just doing this to get by and I didn't bring that little element of, I can imbue some meaning here, I wouldn't have enjoyed it. Yeah, and I think what you've expressed is ikigai. What you're good at, what you love, people. Um, And there was an opportunity and it met, you know, some needs. Um, I'm all for that, absolutely. And I think you can find that in any environment. Now, I'll caveat that to say if you're being bullied, if it's a really Mm. toxic environment, you know, then that's a different story. Um, But I was at a seminar where um, an early career psychologist, when she found out what I did was burnout, she said, oh, yeah, this is a real issue. We're finding like we have to tell almost all our clients to leave their job. I'm like, you can't do Mm. that. You can't Mm. do that because it's a discipline to find your ikigai in whatever situation you are. Because I think it's like you said, Declan, it clarifies for us, you know, resilience requires adversity. It requires us to engage with the world, get information about ourselves and clarify, you know, sort of our options and choices, right? Um, But we can't just avoid it. We've got to give it a good go get some information and then there's a time and season, you know, if that, that season, that means that you've given it your best shot and that work environment no longer is aligned, then it's time to find the next alignment. So that's the other concept I actually really enjoy is alignment. Mm. Um, you know, how, to what extent are you know, your needs and drivers aligned? To what extent is the work that you're, you're doing or the organization that you're worked in being uh, congruent to their values and align to your values. You know, it's, it's about, about, about a bunch of conversations we've got to have before we go, exit. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I know you've got a great tool and a great way for people to begin tuning into whether there is a sense of alignment there, um, which we're still talking about regularly at BU, this idea of our vomit list versus our, was it Dance for Joy was the other list? <laughs> yes, yes, Vomit and Dance for Joy. <laughs> so talk to us about this because I think a lot of the listeners could actually do that today as soon as they finish listening to this show, actually go, hang on, where you know, are most of my work items falling on one side of this list or on the other? Absolutely. So if you did a, a dump of all the things that you did, let's say in a week, like really micro level, just did a dump of it. Um, and then you actually sorted them out into what I call the vomit or dance of joy list. So the vomit list is when you look at it, you literally feel like, I will throw up. <laughs> I guess it's also a neutral, but I like to be 
split. Let's make yeah. it a two list, right? And the other one is when you look at it and you go, oh my goodness, I'm dancing for joy. I want to do more of that. They can actually really give you information about a couple of things. Um, one is where you're pulled, you know, from an Ikigai perspective, you know, what are the areas that you are more drawn to? And the other just provides you information then of, you know, things that you can simplify, automate or delegate in the vomit list, right? Because you, you might not be in a situation where you could give all of it. But if you're spending, you know, a vast majority of your time, like 60% of it in that vomit list, then um, that's your job. Uh, I once was interviewed, um, and this was for clergy, um, and I was a bit tongue-in-cheek about it, but, you know, they were saying something along the lines of, you know, they knew someone who a lot of the time they had to go up on the roof and clean the pigeon crap. Mm. And they were like, but that's just part of the job. They're saying like, you know, when you have a church, you've got to do that. I said, well, how much time would you be spending on that? And they're like, oh, you know, half the time at the moment. Well, then I said, you've got a 50% crap job. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) Yeah, you've got to delegate that stuff or, or simplify it or automate that so that you can do more stuff in, in the dance of joy. I love that. And so I'm curious because I, I imagine there's going to be people listening to this show who are starting to really feel like this is speaking to them. It's really resonating with them. They're like, oh, this is something to really unpack and explore. What are sort of some of the markers that they'd be looking for to know if they're starting to show signs of burnout? Like what are the signs that we look for? Yeah, so, um, you know, they're in three areas. One is extreme exhaustion. Um, fatigue, physical, emotional, mental, to the point where you just can't revive and revitalize. You have your weekend, but then on Monday, it's like a deluge of you know, fatigue again, and you haven't even started. Um, then it would be things like um, withdrawing from people, you know, turning up late for work, being absent, having lots of sick days, maybe even being sick. Um, not being able to tolerate, you know, if, if you're in the helping or caring profession, really dreading um, sitting in the room with the people that used to actually bring you a great degree of satisfaction and joy, feeling quite disconnected as well. And then the third area is, you know, loss of confidence, um, really impacted sense that I, I can't do this job and making lots of mistakes. Um, I don't even know if I'm good enough. Um, I'm double, you know, I'm second guessing myself, right? And it's often accompanied as well with, um, like I said, symptoms of depression. So low mood, your sleeping is disrupted because you're worrying, um, memory and, and, and a fog that sets in. Um, sometimes there are also physical manifestations because of adrenal fatigue. Now, that's something that you want to keep your eye on, you know, if you're actually starting to get headaches and aches and pains and joints which you've never had before um you know it could be suggesting that you have the physical systems are also in override mm-hmm. yeah that's really helpful thank you for sharing that with us because it does i suppose burnout can you know end up being one of those things where it's like it's a concept that people are familiar with but the actual tangibility and the awareness around what am i actually looking for what does this mean can sometimes be the gap there I am curious from your perspective, coming into, you know, a post COVID world, what are some of the things that you hope we're going to see in terms of changing how we approach work or how workplaces approach their employees or 
because you're right, you know, it was very much a massive part of identity. I think it still is, is built in that. A massive chunk of our life and time is built in that. Um, what are some of the things that you hope we're going to see do differently? I hope that we can see that a different pace can still work. Um, for me, I think part of the systemic issue of burnout is that procedures and systems have assumed that human beings have become more like robots. <laughs> we haven't. Just because technology is quicker and we can you know, get information quicker doesn't mean that the human body or mind has evolved to it. So I hope that we actually drill down to conversations about productivity and efficiency that COVID has brought to light, that maybe when people have more freedom and flexibility, maybe when they can negotiate their role, maybe when we can all have a you know, slower pace and see that, oh, you know, the business didn't collapse because we did it differently. I hope that we can pace down um, and not pace up again. So that's the first thing. I guess the second thing is I'm hoping that um, for those of us uh, who, um, you know, discovered that when, when they've been working this way, that there were some areas that they really um, got a lot, a degree of satisfaction and also a degree of um, what should I say? Well, meaning, I guess, is the word. Um, so for teachers, for example, uh, I can only imagine that for some, the technology thing, though uh, uh, tiring, open up possibilities. Oh, you know, this simplifies how I've done things before, let's say. Or they may have discovered things about classroom management. You know, so I've been saying to people, we need, you need to do a SWOT analysis, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Uh, for your COVID experience, right? And be very clear about this as you enter back to work because you want to have ways that you can then implement um, the strengths and the opportunities back into your role and have conversations about some of the weaknesses and the threats that you've observed um, and, and, and use this as a time to, I think, reevaluate roles um, and the way that we do things. Because then we're entering back into the workplace more intentionally. We're entering in, exactly. you know, I think it really hit home for me the other day. I was talking to someone and they said, where, you know, society seems so desperate to go back to normal, but was normal actually that good before? Like maybe this is our opportunity to change what normal means when it comes to work and well-being and burnout um, yeah. and have these conversations and really use this as a platform to make a new yeah. norm. We can never go back to normal. It's, it's never possible, not with something at this scale, not when the whole world has shifted on its axes and we are actually reevaluating every human freedom and every human space as to how did we get here, right? Um, I can tell you that I was asked to give a talk um, somewhere and I said, sure, no problem, because my whole head was geared to COVID way of doing things, right? I can literally sit in my pajamas, like from the bottom, roll out of bed at you know whatever do a zoom and i'm done there's no after chit chat there's no energy draining because declan very frequently when i do talks i have a bit of a trauma response because afterwards people grab me mm. and all kinds i'll hear all kinds of things and i've had to put all these systems into place to ensure that when i finish something 
you know, I'm taken to a space and people don't pull me. So, you know, all of that, right? Um, and then when they told me the date, I was like, oh, that could be after COVID. Oh, I should have to think about that. I'm not quite there yet <laughs> to figure out the stuff that I realized, you know, about, and I'm doing that. I've got my retreat scheduled for July. I need to do my SWATs. I need to think about all the things that, and, 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 and what wasn't working. Um, that I had assumed was all right. Like I said, with conferences, you know, I'd made, I just assumed that, you know, talking and doing it this way was just the way to do it. Um, whereas now it's opened up these possibilities and um, I've had a, a, an experience of seeing, you know, even something like this, Declan, I think one of the things I was even talking to my best friend last night, Declan, I, I realized that there were a bunch of networking relationships that were really getting me down and I've had these networking relationships for a long time Declan mm. and I said to her but you know someone like Declan whom I only just met and we've mostly been engaging like this I realized it has a different energy for me what is that about I need to go on my retreat and reflect and actually even think about that so it kind of makes sense yeah no and I really appreciate that too because I feel the same way I know you know, I was at the point before all of this, I was going to two or three networking events a week in the evening, sacrificing time with my wife and with my family. Mm -hmm. And I just got into that story of, well, this is just what I meant to do. This is, yeah. it's a necessary evil. I have to do it to build yeah. the business. And then it's funny because we're not doing it now, obviously. And yet the business is fine and yeah. I'm happier and I'm spending more time <laughs> with my wife. And the people that I am spending time with through video calls, are people that I'm very intentional about spending time with where I'm like, I genuinely enjoy talking to them. I feel uplifted afterwards. Um, and so I think it's a much healthier way to approach it. It's almost the, you know, quality over quantity, a bit of a less is more approach um, of having those great relationships there. I could talk to you about this all day because I, I just love catching <laughs> up with you and I love chatting about these things. And I think this, these are really important topics. Uh, we are going to take a very brief little pause just to hear a quick word from amazing sponsor for this season and then when we come back we're going to play a bit of a mystery game uh, that i now get all the guests to play at the end of the show so hold tight for that and we'll be back on any moment now if you've been listening to the show for a while you will have no doubt heard the word monkey brew and as much as we could tell you all about what the product is and why we love it we think it's even more powerful for you to hear why this product exists in the first place because it's about so much more than just coffee. And so you can connect with that and understand the vision and the impact that this brand is making. We've actually invited the founder, Dan, into the studio to share with you the ethos, the vision, the mission of Monkey Brew Coffee. Monkey Brew is all about helping people enjoy delicious, specially roasted coffee at home while helping the environment. And the way we help the environment is by planting one tree for every kilo of coffee we sell. And I know that you've got a pretty ambitious goal for how many trees you actually want to plant. Tell us more about that. That's right. We, we aim to plant 100,000 trees by 2025. I love that. And if people want to get involved with that and play their part in it and have basically a role in those trees being planted, how can they best do that? Head to monkeybrew.org and use the code BUPODCAST at checkout to receive $5 off our sample pack. You heard it first here, people. You get a chance to not only start your day in the right way, but to know that you've had an impact on the world at the same time. Make sure you head across and become part of the movement with Monkey Brew. 
so it's funny that you mentioned before, obviously, this, you know, dance for joy versus vomit list. In hindsight, I can actually see the big part of the reason why we now play a mystery game at the end of the show uh, with, with our guests is because when I looked back through all the podcast interviews I was doing, some of my favorite moments with guests were the really unexpected ones where we talked about things that were not even really close to what we'll talk about or where we just sort of went off on a tangent. And I also realized I was putting a lot of pressure and stress on myself to try and find the perfect closing question, the perfect last topic, the perfect thing to end the show on in the lead up. And as a result, I wasn't being present with our interviewees when we were there. I was so busy thinking about what am I going to ask next? And I wasn't actually there as they were answering the last three questions. And so I decided last season uh, that we would start leaving it up to fate a little bit and leaving it up to chance, and it went really well. So it's back for this season. We have a giant wheel uh, that we're going to spin and let it choose the last question and the last topic for us to talk about. So Love it. you want to spin it clockwise or anti-clockwise? Anti-clockwise. Anti-clockwise. Okay. So we'll let it go around. I always feel like Drew Carey on like the price is right when I do this. <laughs> and everyone's like hoping it comes up with a certain thing. <laughs> Oh, so you've got light purple, which is Mythbuster. So Mythbuster is what is a, a common myth, either about yourself and what you do, or about burnout, the topic we've been speaking about today, that you'd really wish would just be busted from society. What are some myths that you see people? Oh man, so many, Declan. That self-care is um, all about... Um, bubble baths and massages i hate that yes. i myself have baths and massages frequently so that's not my issue my issue is that it doesn't get put into perspective of why it's there and the other varieties of ways that it's a discipline to recharge refocus the mind take care of mind body and spirit is beyond just the self-care movement which i think you've said before you know there's a difference i think i love that self-love self-indulgence and self-care is that the yeah. three things you yes. talk about yeah yeah yep. um and, and i love that there's that distinction because for me when because i'm a carer or i'm in a helping professional um it's a discipline actually for me to do the work the internal work um, and I had a blog on my Facebook um, site the other day, which said that I didn't want to do the work after a really heavy week, right? The self-care movement or the self-indulgent movement would have said, oh, don't do it. Yeah. Oh, you know, go and have some chocolate or, you know, whatever. But no, I, I had to do the work. <laughs> I had to do it. Mm. Yeah. So that'd be my top one. I love that. And it is that perspective of sometimes self-care is caring enough about ourselves to do the work. And uh, we've started a bit of a trend that are with our, our members and with our tribe on hashtagging uh, unsexy self-care. So this <laughs> idea that self-care isn't always sexy and Instagrammable. Sometimes it's messy and it's tough and it sucks. And that's part of the process. That's part of the journey. Yeah. That's a so great true. myth to bust. I think that's such a great way to bring the show um, to an end. So for those who have listened and have really resonated with you and your perspective and connected with you, where can they best uh, reach out to you and, and connect with you more and be a part of that journey? Facebook. So uh, Valerie Ling CFEL is my handle, but um, you know, Valerie Ling on Facebook, I have a page. And of course on LinkedIn, um, I do lots of lives and blogs um, 
uh, about the topic. I can highly recommend Valerie's contact, uh, content on LinkedIn as well. I've just jumped on LinkedIn this year and you're one of the main ones I look for when I log in and I check out your <laughs> stuff. So thank you for sharing that value with the world okay. too. We'll put the links for that into the show notes so everyone can connect with you. But from the bottom of my heart on behalf of everyone who listens to this, thank you again for taking a bit of time out of your morning and your day to come and share your expertise with us. I really do appreciate it. It's a pleasure, Declan. And now, a quick word from our sponsor. Coffee. Thanks for that, Dan. But seriously, if you guys haven't checked out Monkey Brew, make sure you do so via the links in the show notes. And just like that, you've reached the end of yet another episode here on the BU with Declan Edwards show. I'm always grateful for you choosing to spend your time and invest your time into yourself and your personal development and well-being by listening to this show. Now, if you are a long-time listener, remember the best way that you can support the show is to simply give us a five-star review or share it with your friends and family. It doesn't seem like much. It's free to do. It doesn't take much time, but let me promise you, it does make a difference. It helps this show be heard by more and more people. It helps more and more people learn these techniques that we share on the show so that they can begin improving their personal development and well-being journey as well, just like you have. So if you haven't written us a review already, I'd really appreciate it if you took 60 seconds to do so. If you're on Apple, you can write a review, or if you're listening through Spotify, make sure you favorite any platform you're listening through make sure you click subscribe so you get notified when the next episodes come out and as always if you're looking to accelerate or fast track your personal development and well-being journey make sure you reach out to us we cannot help you with your journey until you take that first all-important step of getting in contact with us and there's so many ways you can do that you can either flick us an email at grow at bucoaching.org you can go to our website bucoaching.org and download a free info kit that will tell you everything you need to know about how we approach coaching and our coaching programs or you can jump onto any of the social media platforms instagram facebook search bu coaching and flick us a message that way so we can help get the ball rolling for you And with that said, until the next time we're chatting, you know what we do. As always, make an impact, start with self, and be you.